You're listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio, and this is RVA Report, WRIR's weekly current affairs talk show where community thought and political leaders gather to weigh in on the headlines, their significance, and where they might take us tomorrow. But first, the news. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Brittany Tracy, and here's the news. In the 1970s, one woman would unknowingly become the leader of what FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover claimed was, quote, the greatest threat to the internal security of the United States. Abid Rahman shares her perspective on Richmond. The Grace Harris Leadership Institute recently hosted Elaine Brown, former chairman of the Black Panther Party, for a lecture discussing social justice in current times. Brown discussed the death of a movement invoked by the 1980s war on drugs and its effect on black communities. Assessing the current progressive climate of Richmond, she said, What I saw was, you know, um, what I see a lot of places, and that is just, you know, an overwhelming apathy or what appears to be anyway. They may be concerned, but they don't know what to do. Recently, Brown has co-founded multiple organizations with the mission of changing the prison system. She critiqued the youth's activism and said, What kind of society do you want to live in? If you're all right with this, then there's nothing for you to do. You'll go down when when it goes down, because it is going down. Changes in the incarceration system is an issue Richmond is already considering as it opens a new prison this year, which will still struggle with an overpopulation of inmates. While a coalition of organizations in Richmond marched together in November to call for reform to the prison system, the Shaco Bottom Stadium issue has taken their attention. As a black American, Brown gave her opinion on the issue and said, Does it serve the interests of the people and the community? Not that I can see. Does it detract from their interests? Yes. So it has to go. Brown did her best to serve as a drum major and provide a beat for activists to follow. However, as Richmond develops, it will be up to the local community to shape its future. For Richmond Public Media, I'm Abid Rahman. Commonwealth attorney Mark Herring is currently pressing for changes in the prison system, lessening the focus on bonds, and pushing for electronic monitoring services. These changes, along with a new day reporting center, will serve as a pipeline for inmates to reestablish themselves in society. As of July 1, 2014, each locality in the state of Virginia will be required to manage their own permitting process for stormwater management. All construction projects of a certain size and other sources of stormwater runoff will now be reviewed and permitted by the individual localities themselves. Virginia is covered in natural waterways, streams, rivers, and creeks, but the unnatural waterways created by human development have been a problem since the earliest settlements. Stormwater is water that flows off of impervious surfaces, such as roofs and pavement, and into natural waterways. With the water flows the dirt and pollutants from human society. Starting in July of this year, all cities, towns, and counties in Virginia will be responsible for managing their own stormwater. According to a public utilities official for the city, there are two permits, each specific to an amount of acreage. If the construction project is one acre or more, a uniform set of state regulations will apply. But if the project is smaller than one acre, permits will be regulated by localities. For these projects, each locality will regulate erosion settlement control, stormwater management, and Chesapeake Bay requirements at each site. 
David Bernard, Water Quality Chair of the Sierra Club's Virginia Chapter, worries that pollution standards will decrease partly due to private development interests. David Bernard. Stormwater runoff rules were designed to deal with the quantity of water to prevent flooding. Then it became realized that it was a water pollution problem as well. So the problem has been recognized for a long time, but uh, there has been resistance from the development community. According to the Virginia Stormwater Management Program's information page for the city of Richmond, quote, single-family dwellings disturbing one acre or less than 2,500 square feet in a Chesapeake Bay area are exempt for the Richmond Stormwater Management Program unless they are part of a common plan for development or sale. People like Bernard are concerned that exemptions will keep Virginia's waterways from healing. City officials say otherwise, noting that projects over 2,500 square feet are subject to new state technical criteria for stormwater management. Therefore, according to city officials, standards will not decline but improve under local management as localities are more readily able to handle their stormwater issues than the state. There's nothing more important and nothing more snore-inducing for the general public than Richmond City Council's annual budgetary process. But what's more thrilling, chilling, tremor-inducing than watching the political process, negotiations, and machinations involved in the creation and passage of a $760 million or so dollar budget that will determine the quality of life for tens of thousands of people for the next year? Sounds like a snore, right? That's a lot of money. And that's what's at stake as Mayor Dwight C. Jones and Richmond City Council toe up to begin their annual dance to determine who's leading and who's following. Once there was a time when the mayor and council competed to see who could step on the other's toes to the beat. Not so much these days. More exciting dance moves were weekly on exhibit on the old Lawrence Welk show than you'd see these days on Monday nights in city council chambers. Pleasure to have a polka with Barbara Boylan. Naturally, we call on Myron Florin to provide the music with the title song of his album, Shall We Dance? Myron, are you ready? One, two, three, four. I'm with, as always, Paul Goldman, a man of Ukrainian descent, who this very evening has issued his own warning to Vladimir Putin. He's also hot on the tail of the missing Flight 370 and O. He's also a former advisor to former Mayor L. Douglas Wilder, which is why he joins us this evening. Uh, also with Charlie Deardor, my co-host and a frequent commentator on city politics. And finally, and this is a first, uh, thank you very much for being here. I'm with former speaking city... Speaking of coups. Speaking of coups. Right, yeah. Uh, we're with former city council president and occasional Gene Simmons impersonator, Bill Panley. Who's now in private practice. Uh, in, I guess, land use and government relations. He also knows a tiny thing or two about city budget, which is why, in part, he's here this evening. Thank you very much for joining us, Bill. Th thanks for having me, Chris, Charlie, and Paul. Finally. Uh, and do you want to explain the Gene Simmons thing? No, uh, no we'll just leave that one right over there. that. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about, I guess we're going to start this evening with a budget. 
Uh, and of course, we are hot into the budget process now. We're hotting up, I guess, with the city's budget process. Hotting up, yes. Hotting up. Uh, You're a journalist, right? That's a good phrase. That's okay. a turn of phrase. Indeed, turn that phrase. <laughs> so, I guess first of all, the thing that I believe probably strikes myself and my co-host most, and why we decided on this topic as part of this evening, is it's so different now. The process is so much different than it was during the previous mayor's administration. Paul's over there playing dice or something. Yeah, don't knock the thing. <laughs> edit, edit, edit. Yeah. Under the previous mayor's administration and under the previous council, so much different, the process. This process now is, in many ways, kind of more expedited, I guess, a little less in the way of scrutiny uh, that we see during that process. Bill, can you maybe talk a little bit about differences you see? Well, I think the, uh, <clears throat> the, the process basically is the same. As it's always been, uh, that that process is baked into the city charter. So it commences with the mayor uh, making a budget uh, proposal, which he did last week, I believe. Uh, And in that, he will propose uh, really two budgets. One is an operating budget, which is called the general fund budget, and then a separate capital budget. And that covers all the various uh, city activities uh, that there are. Uh, some sub-budgets, say for Richmond Public Schools, for example, public utilities, uh, for example, is included within that overall budget. From the time he introduces it, a city council will have until the end of May to make any changes or amendments uh, to that budget. And there are certain rules they have to play uh, within. Um, and, and if they don't make any changes by the end of uh, May, then the budget that was proposed stands as the budget for the rest of the year. So that really hasn't changed. But I can remember uh, under the like Wilder administration, you at the time were council president for much of all of that, right? Most of that. Uh, for the last two years. For the exciting part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Goldman had left by then. Yeah, so it became... So how exciting could it be? Because it, <laughs> it turned into the Wild West, I think we can all agree. Um, but that process was it was longer. There seemed to be more scrutiny. Council seemed to be a much more active part, not even a participant. It was... It was Council uh, directed, it seemed to me, Bill, the budget process. Thank you. Um, it seemed to me that, yes, the mayor did put up the budget, but then you all took it and, and ran down the field with it uh, and looked for a lot of citizen input. And I'm not seeing that these days. Um, I'm seeing some citizen input, but I'm not seeing the intensity uh, that was there in those days. Can you explain to us, could, could I make is a there clarif- a difference? Why? A clarification. Yeah, I don't think it's a lack of citizen input. I think there's a lot of citizen input for certain right now. I don't know that we've seen it yet with the budget because it's just starting that no, process. No, 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 I know. I'm but talking about last year too. Maybe what you're saying is how much engagement or, or the council is asking for from the public. Is that more where you're... Yeah. Well, I think that every city council will have its own personality and and how they approach uh, the budget like any other issue. You know, I remember when I first went on city council in 2001, uh, we used to have marathon budget sessions that, that would go on late into the night, many, many nights. Uh, so we actually cut back on some of that because we were just a little more efficient and, and more focused on where we were going. Uh, for the last uh, few years, council has not had those very lengthy meetings generally. Uh, can't really explain why. Um, and in fact, for the last uh, two, at least two years, city councils adopted the budget early, uh, re- earlier in May, 
uh, which is a little bit surprising to me. But, but I think a lot of it just depends on what the governing body, city council, wants to do with the budget. If they, if they feel uh, satisfied, for the most part, that the budget is acceptable to them, then, then maybe it can go faster. When I was there, we had some pretty specific group uh, ideas of where we wanted the budget to go uh, that in many cases did not drive, drive very well with uh, what the mayor wanted. Um, my group, uh, it wasn't as explicit as this, but we were determined that we were going to lower the real estate tax rate. So we had to do a lot of uh, major surgery to the budget to achieve that outcome. Uh, these days, I'm not hearing a whole lot about real estate tax rates, so I don't know. But, but let me observe look up, this. Look up the Hanover if you want to see <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Or elsewhere. Or elsewhere. But, uh, but, but let me observe this, though, in terms of what you might perceive about engagement or uh, how much time is being spent. Uh, in last spring's budget, uh, the uh, firefighters and police stepped up because their pay essentially had been frozen uh, for a number of years. And we had them, by the way, on uh, the union, or I we guess had their the representatives. on a couple of weeks ago. But, but, I, but, I, but I don't think I can remember a city council budget hearing meeting with more people there than that. Uh, even some of the more contentious school budget uh, meetings for council. So, so I think a lot of times it's driven by the issue or particular issues. It's driven by the attitude of, of the city council people and uh, whether, uh, whether or not there are particular initiatives that, that the body wants to carry. Could you um, explain to the listener what outcome-based budgeting is, because this is something that Mayor Jones had brought in when he first came into office. Is there a difference between outcome-based budgeting and what you all saw while you were on council? Well, the idea of outcome-based budgeting is to set goals for specific outputs of the government and then try to align the resources and measure the resources to get to those outcomes. Um, I will tell you that I've been around a fair number of governmental organizations that have told everybody that they're doing outcome-based budgeting, but they're not really doing outcome-based budgeting. It's, uh, I really don't perceive any difference today in, in terms of how the budget is being put together or its process than 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Uh, you know, the presentation may be somewhat different. But in terms of the nuts and bolts of what you're really doing with departmental budgets, non-departmental budgets, uh, the various funds that feed into the uh, budget and the capital budget, uh, it's really all the same. So, can, yeah. can, can I make a few observations? Well, actually, Paul, can I ask you a question before? Yeah, go ahead. What is, I think, um, very interesting, I guess, about the, the last couple of years of process is, and you've spoken quite a lot about this. This is the budget. This is why it's important. The budget is council's power. It's its authority. Right. This is where it has really its um, opportunity to have its opinion, have its say in what's going to happen for the next year of the administration. I guess, again, going back to previous council versus this current council, which I guess is really kind of the next current council after <clears throat> Wilder, so two in, it's, it's a very different process and sort of, I guess, what sort of authority that council is taking over city policy, isn't it? Well, I mean, Bill's judicious in his comments, <laughs> but I think perhaps <laughs> a more, so a more um, non-judicious, non-judicious. No, non-judicious uh, analysis might be useful for the listener. Please. 
Go on. The um, there are several things going on, but I do think your point is correct. Every legislative body appropriations is the key. That's what it's there for. So when Bill says this is a body that oh you know they passed the budget early, they have no changes, they basically have no nothing to say. They're just seeding everything. What happened was when Wilder came in. We still had two-year terms. We were into a new structure of government. Wilder is used to a, when he was the governor, used to a, an assertive legislative branch because of the General Assembly's very, very protective of the budget process. I mean, that's their budget process. The governor gets to make a proposal, and then he can sit up in his office and wait for everybody to decide what they're going to do. Number two, the council was used to being the one running the budget because prior, the council picked the mayor. The mayor was a figurehead. The person running the show was the city manager. Their employee. Right? Who was their employee, and they took that seriously. And that person took that seriously, okay? They had the whole city together. They had all these people at their disposal. It was their budget. It was their city. That's the way it always was. But when the new mayor office came in, of course, people were trying to adjust. Wilder had really no problems with how it had been done in the past. He had, that was fairly typical to what he was used to as governor, and he enjoyed the, the back and forth. That's the first point. For all the criticism of Doug Wilder by, we won't have to mention any names, he was actually much more respective of the council's power than this mayor. Bill, okay. would you agree with that? Just out of uh, um, interject. I, I think in terms of Mayor Wilder's familiarity with the budget process and respect of it, um, I, I think Paul's exactly right. Uh, I'll tell you the story. Uh, right after Mayor Wilder was elected and uh, came into office, at that time I was chair of the city's finance committee. Uh, so I had a meeting uh, with Mayor Wilder, and, and prior to that time, uh, it was very difficult for us to get detailed of financial information out of the city administration. It was torture. Hmm. Uh, so I went to Mayor Wilder, and, and I complained about that, and, and I asked him um, for the line item detail, I mean, all the way down to the nitty-gritty, uh, so that we could do our job better and scrutinize the budget better. And he said immediately, sure thing. <laughs> and he turned over all that data, and frankly, we used it to um, – to achieve some of the outcomes that uh, you, you know that we talked about, but but I also want to make this observation: what, no matter where we fall, city council really has two powers. One only city council can pass laws. You know the mayor doesn't have a vote. He can introduce legislation, but he can't vote on it. He's got a veto, but he can't vote on it. That lawmaking power is very important, <clears throat> and the second is ownership of of the budget. So if this city, with its infrastructure in the state that it's in, has $600,000 in the budget for sidewalk repairs. City Council can fix that if they have the will to yeah, fix but, it. But, but, but let's go through the process so you'll understand why we are the way. So when you came in, the council was used to the role. Bill Panley, the chairman of finance, as actually a committee that probably met, actually had something to say, actually had somebody running the committee who understood finance, all right? And so this is what you came up to. Wilder was comfortable with it, 
and people were though adjusting to the process. The mayor at that time only had a limited veto. He didn't have the veto he has now. There was, okay, the process was developed. People were used to being part of the game. The council was used to having their opinion. They were used to being a player. But what's happened now, of course, is over time, the council now is four years elections. They don't have to run every two years. They can coast like a United States senator. Number two, the mayor is more assertive. He's got a veto power. The mayors are getting comfortable. Hey, I'm really running the show. The mayor's not really looking into a big debate. The mayor's telling his allies on the school board and the council the following. And this is the big, I think we can explain the difference here. Historically, all over the country, historically for years, the basic budget process, to explain it to the listener, goes this way. The mayor proposes, the governor proposes, the president proposes, all right? The executive. X. The executive proposes X. The legislative branch generally tries to make friends with all the various groups who don't think the, the executive has given enough money. The number one thing an executive has to do is be seen as tough on the money, fiscally responsible. Got enough people elected governor on it, and I think they all buy my argument. That is the one thing you got to show. That's what the public wants. Especially in this state. Every state. You're the person in charge. You got to be tough on the money. The legislative branch then adds money generally. The Republicans in the Congress have sort of tried to claim to do it differently, but they actually don't. They put in the money for defense, whatever it is, okay? But they, that's part of your job. You put your arm around the groups and you say, yeah, that executive man, he's really screwed. You don't understand it. We'll take care of you. All right? And then the debate goes back and forth and they split the difference, whatever it is. This way, the executive can say, I stopped these runaway legislators from spending too much money. The legislator can say, see, we got you a little bit more from, from, okay. While it was cool with that, that's basically how it was done. Jones takes a different view. You saw it with the budget. The schools, you saw it with the current budget. Let me do the school thing. Okay. Let's assume the original school budget. Schools were given a budget. Look at the mayor. The mayor would slash it back, and then they would, legislature would add some, okay? Legislator can say to the schools, we got you more money. Wilder can say, at least I saved some money. Everybody's happy. However, there's one thing there. You can say, under that system, that the mayor gave the schools less than they asked for. That's the only political flaw in that argument. The mayor gets to say he's tough, but... School average. What's he tough on? Yes, on kids. Right. On, tough kids. on kids, right? <laughs> okay. And there, three, and there are three. And there are three places you can't be tough: kids, cops, and cash. So the, okay. So 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 what happens? The mayor Jones doesn't want. He doesn't want to be accused of being too uh, not giving the schools the money they want. So he gets his allies on the school board to recommend in the budget only how much they know he wants to spend that's why there was the big blow up in 2012 because instead of playing that game and and the former chairman of school superintendent brandon tried to get the board the board said no we want more than you're willing to give us jones said that ain't the way it's going to happen and he basically and boom 24 he, million deficit and, and he crushed them all okay basically all the opponents who had an opposition lost all right 
Jones, their elections, they all went away. They all lost. Now, Jones has done the same thing with some of the people on the council. That's his style. Wilder didn't mind the debate. Can I help him, Paul? Let me ask you a question. Wait a minute. No, let me me, me jump in here (laughs) for a second because I've got, I think, what I I think is a salient point. I'm sure Paul will say, eh, you don't know what you're talking about. But no, I won't say that unless it's true. You've got a city council that two years ago made a page and a half of changes to a, what, Bill, $700 million budget? More than that. More than than that. They made a page and a half of changes. Is it political strength of the executive or a lack of political will? And this was not during the Samuels era. This was during uh, 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 Kathy Graziano's era as president. Is there a lack of political will from the legislative branch when all you've got is a page and a half of change. Well, yeah, and it's a good question, but of course it's the chicken or the egg, and I'm and you have to say that. And I'm th- looking for that answer from you. And you're looking for and 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 well, you know my Paul my, is about to answer chicken or egg. Well, yeah. you know my uncle uh, used Sorry. to be a chicken farmer. That's how I found out that I was allergic to chicken feathers. I one day went in and collected the eggs in a chicken oh, farm, and I got sick for two. Uh, Would well, you ask for it, Charlie? Well, he did ask for it. I mean, so you, what you came know, first? I guess what came the, first? we'll never know because he has a allergic reaction to that. came before the chicken feathers. But <laughs> the, the, um, Paul could answer that question. He would have been able to answer it except for the allergy. Except he got derailed. Yeah, okay. it's, it's prevented the answer. I we'll never, all that. Humanity now, will never know. Paul, <laughs> the question, let's come back to that question of political will, though. I mean, if there was a page and a half of changes made uh, three years ago to an over $700 million budget, $800 million budget, is there a political lack of political will, I should say, on the part of the legislative well, branch? It isn't just a lack of will. Let's go a little further. I don't think they have a lack of expertise. The fact of the matter is... You don't think they have a lack? Or they, no, they do. They, There's a lack of expertise in terms of dealing with financial matters. It's not unusual. If you Same thing in most legislators. If you notice who is, tends to be the most powerful person in a state legislature... It's the guys on the budget The committee. person that runs the finance committee. Mm-hmm. That's changed a little bit. But back when the legislature... Rules is a good place. ...was rules. Remember <laughs> also that the governor of this state wasn't nearly as powerful as people think. It it's really started more with Wilder, because before the governors always went along with the legislature because it was a one-party system. So the, the person that ran, the sure. okay, yeah. Wilder was the first one who stood up to that system. It's changed, okay? The city council is still trying to adjust to the new process. They don't have the expertise that they need in terms of people on the council. They haven't bothered to go out and get the expertise, even though they were allowed to get the staff. Can I ask that? This is a a wonderful time for Bill to come back on air here. Bill, I guess uh, you you insisted, because I guess one of the early cuts during the Wilder days was Daisy Weaver. She was, as I recall, somebody in budget with the city before. uh, She was the the city's budget director. Budget director. And when Wilder cut her, you basically, as council, insisted on bringing her back on. And as we, I understand, we, we, we hired her as you. chief of staff within 48 hours. Within 48 hours, and part of it was because of her budget expertise. Right? Uh, ab- absolutely. Uh, and she's, by the way, the, gone. These, now. Uh, you know, our, our local elected officials are you know, come from a lot of varied and different backgrounds and have. Uh, a mix of strengths and weaknesses. They're not all business people, or or experienced in financial matters, and so it is absolutely crucial 
that that city council and its committees have the kind of support and analysis uh, so that options can be developed. If you're just going to leave it to an individual city council person to figure out 500 pages of budget and all of the other thousands of pages that feed into it. It's not going to happen. It's going to be very, very difficult. And, and, And that difficulty, I think, has been amplified with the new form of government where we've split, formally split, into an administrative executive half and a legislative half. So, you know, there's been some uh, uh, recent news. Uh, well, I think part of it was over the ballpark, uh, some of this discussion about hiring some consulting help on the part of city council. $100,000. In my opinion, and I've communicated this to, to some members of city council, that they, they actually need much more resources than that on an ongoing basis. I think sometimes city council members can get reticent or shy mm-hmm. about asking for funding help to beat to, to to have a robust staff. But wouldn't this? I mean, this would be to the benefit of the city to have if you're spending up front to make sure that you're spending I, I, on the I back could, end. I, I is, can tell you this: uh, right? not just as a former public official, but as a city taxpayer. <laughs> I think uh, I really want city council to have strong committees. They need to be able to test what they're being told. They need to be able to develop alternatives. So if, they, so, so if city council buys into, uh, they're just going to muddle through as best they can or, or just trust what they're being told, I think it does diminish their ability really to do their job, and, and, the, and thereby it really hurts us, I think, long term. When you and Senator Kane went and spoke with city council during their uh, retreat, uh, did, did any of these subjects come up? Give, give us a time frame here. When did that Last fall. Last fall, okay. Uh, Sure. A lot of these subjects came up. We talked about leadership, uh, gave some leadership advice. Uh, uh, We we talked about the need for a separate legislature to have not excessive resources, but enough resources to do its job well and professionally. Uh, We kind of raced into changing the form of government. We ended up with a separate legislature that really did not have the infrastructure that it needed Which, to again, is why when you grabbed Daisy at that, you know, like you said, 48 hours later, you grabbed her. That was kind of a, a little bit of a mini coup. It's the theme of this evening. It seems like a little coup as well, right? Well, I don't know so that I would call it a coup. I, I just think it's a matter of that particular council. Uh, <laughs> ca- uh, Delegate Lupasi at the time was president of council. I was chair of finance. Uh, and we would talk about these things. Like, Look, you know, we've got to we've got to do our job. It's going to be harder in certain ways for us to do our job. We've got to have the right kind of expertise. And I can tell you, you know, when we took that real estate tax rate down from a dollar forty one per hundred to a dollar twenty, and that was yeah, that. By the way, is a huge drop. It is a huge drop. Each penny represents about two and a half million dollars of spending. So we had to reduce spending reorganize spending, defer some things, accelerate others. And, and to put it in context, when localities, other localities surrounding Richmond talk about reducing their tax rate, they're talking about a penny. A or, penny. Or two Here, pennies. I, yeah, we, we, we moved, two we moved yeah. very dramatically, and we knew that it was going to take, that we needed expertise to get there. So uh, with uh, the assistance of a lot of people, but certainly including uh, uh, Daisy Weaver, uh, who I have a lot of admiration for, you know, we'd go into these budget sessions uh, and work pretty hard for about a month and a half, you know, hundreds of hours of 
briefings and background. And you were paid for all that, right? <laughs> not, not, not much. <laughs> uh, but what we, um, but, but, but still, when we would get down to mid, early mid-May, leading up to that end of May uh, deadline, we, we would generally have a pretty good idea of how we were going to find the money to do the things that we thought the public wanted the most. And, and, and so we were able to lower that tax rate. Bill, Councilman Bliles has put forward uh, not so much legislation. I don't know that if he's actually put it forward as legislation or not. There's a thought out there that council should meet once a month. Um, and Belisles is the one who's brought this up. We've had John on this show mm-hmm. two or three times, and I, I believe. I think he's brought it up on the show. And he's talked about yeah. it here. Um, given that we are in a budget season, um, do you think, and I'm not asking you to pass judgment on it, I'm asking your views on it, do you think that it is a good idea for the council to meet less frequently and possibly have committees thereof meet more frequently? Just one guy's opinion. I'd, I'd stick to the two meetings per month uh, for for a couple reasons. One, uh, uh, I think it promotes greater transparency in the government because it's on television. People can see what's going on. Uh, they have more opportunity to interact with their legislature. Another another reason is that in an urban area, there are a lot of issues moving where time really matters. So you know, you can have a city council meeting that may not have uh, a great deal on, on its docket for that particular night, and it moves pretty fast. But what people don't see is that there was a two-and-a-half or three-hour pre-meeting before then full of all kinds of presentations, planning for bigger uh, issues to come. So I think it's I, – I, for those two reasons, I would leave it exactly the way it is, and I think it's a separate issue from how the committees – operate or can, how they should operate. Can I ask a question, too? Um, school board. And now, real quick, just a, a, a very brief primer, I guess, for, for the listener. School boards in Virginia are, are sort of this, this strange half-breed kind of thing that once was an, an appointed board. Um, we voted years ago now, well over 10 years ago, to make it an elected board. And most Virginia localities have an elected school board, but what that board doesn't have is very much in the way of taxing authority. They tend to be very part-time, very poorly paid. They don't have staff. So everything that they do is reliant, very reliant on the superintendent and her staff or his staff to let that board know this is where we're going with. The trouble is the, the school boards are loaded up with big administrations and staff that report just to the... Uh, the um um, the uh, superintendent. Superintendent. You know, the auditor here, the auditor of the school board is supposed to report to the, the auditor of the school system is supposed to report to the uh, to the school board and actually is appointed by the school board. There's nothing to stop the school board of Richmond or any other school board without spending an extra dime to put on some staff that reports to them. The problem is the staff they have basically reports to somebody else. If, if the school board, just like city council, came together and said, for us to do our job effectively, we need to have a staff of 12. They could go into the budget and, find it. and take 12 positions away from administrative positions, right. not, not classroom, mm-hmm. right. not school level, because there are so many positions floating around. Sure, there's somebody filled who's and developing unfilled. annoying City council can do the same thing. So, so, so where, while some city council members... Um, get nervous that well if we spend if we spend more money on staff that that will be criticized if you go back and look at how how big the administration's 
staffing has grown, the number of positions. Yeah, frankly, there's and nothing you're talking here about this current administration staff growing. Uh, uh, Marshall's he, doubled his butt. Marshall's he, got an extra even, million but, but, dollars. But, but even back to uh, uh, Mayor Wilder, okay, the city never had a press secretary before. And that press secretary may now, or along the way, decide that he or she needs some deputies and some assistants and some administrative assistants. So the next thing you know, you've gone from zero to however many, and I'm going to try and take a shot at the press this secretary. Is, this is actually a completely separate I- or, uh, episode of this show because press departments within localities have grown exponentially over the past uh, decade. But I tell you what, the, the, those administrative huge, staff positions only grow because the legislature lets them. So if the if it's a, whether it's a school board or it's a, a, a city council, they've got the power to simply shift the positions and to reorganize those positions to have a more effective government. So I, I absolutely think they should do that. But to your point, Chris, the, the, the somewhat unusual circumstance in Virginia is that elected school boards don't have any power to raise revenue right. on their own. So they're, so they're dependent upon the uh, local government and the state government uh, to fund their operations. And, uh, and a lot of times there are some pretty significant uh, disconnects there. Except there's a pretty strong, well, there's a pretty strong um, uh, requirement for um, the state to help out, plus the state's dedicated part of the state sales tax to, uh, to the localities. The localities certainly have them. I, I think in terms of, of, of Richmond, for instance, state auditor says it costs $10 million more to run the government of Richmond than it does any other comparable city. And so that's $10 million a year they could cut. Bill's pointed out, uh, well, I know, went through the budget. You want to drive a Mercedes, though. Well, I, I, well, you, you know, um, you could find 7 or $8 million. I have it on my computers. You could cut uh, You could cut very easily. But that's not going to change. Whether you cut that or this, it's not going to change the, um, the, as Charlie would say, the will or whatever. The council has a certain attitude towards the budget, towards its job. And that is reflected in when they don't really have many priorities. They don't really try to change the budget that much. They don't have their own programs to rival that of the uh, mayor. You could say it's unrealistic because, you know, the council is a part-time position in theory, Mm -hmm. really. Okay, the mayor is full-time. He's got all this staff. It's an executive function of the government. That's what we wanted we sh- don't need that kind of competition. Uh, and 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 the four-year terms, I hate to bring it up, but they now have two more years to sleep. Uh, it, <laughs> look, the stadium is the perfect example. If it was two-year terms, there would be no stadium in Shaco Bottom. That would be over with. But you have a four-year window, so they can just sort of go to sleep for a couple of years and nobody can do anything about it. it it's, it's a fact. We have a more executive-run City. And I'm assuming here what you're saying is that with a two-year term, that if the public didn't approve of a stadium, that that election would serve as a referendum. They would also have to be much more in tune. They would have to be out holding more hearings. You know, you would, those are the things that you would, you would see. You'd already, I mean, the election would have already been underway already, and people would have already been reacting quite a okay. bit differently. Well, Bill, uh, two-year terms? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I think we went to four-year terms without really thinking it through. Thank you very, very and, much. And um, that was that was Dwight Jones and Henry Marsh. Really, their argument was that because why why is it the county 
has four-year terms, but we only have two. I mean, you really didn't take well, much because you have more council members than they. Well, have. no, no, that's not why. We 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 all know no, what every they were council saying. person I've ever and and Paul and I wrote a piece on this for the Times Dispatch editorial page at one point. I thought it was pretty good. Well, re- that was pretty good. Pretty good. Oh, I mean, Paul wrote. Sorry. It. Um, <laughs> But, my, but honestly, but honestly, when I when I asked Kathy Graziano straight up about it, I said, "What about for what about going back to two year terms?" She said, "Charlie, our folks in the counties have four year terms, therefore we should have four year terms. It's a matter of, you know, not fluidity, but but continuity of care, if you will." Look, I'm sure there are certain people who uh, get hung up on. Uh, you know, what the counties are doing or keeping up with the Joneses and that kind of thing. Literally. But, 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 I, can, but, 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 but I can but I can tell you this, Bill's that um, uh, <laughs> the, the one, one argument that was raised to go to four-year terms is that if you have a two-year term, you're, you're almost constantly campaigning. Good. And, uh, well, you say good, but then on the other hand, we, we've spent a lot of time tonight saying, well, why can't we have a, a higher expectation or raise the bar and get more work done on the budget, which means more meetings and more organization and so forth, uh, which, I, which I agree with. So, so then you take nine people out in their districts uh, who are spending – uh, you know, 30 hours a week campaigning, that's going to take a lot of work off the table. But that then, was part of the theory. But then and, what follows is more staff, that. too, right? I mean, that's the, but they're not doing it now. They, the, the previous they have more time and they're not. Part. I mean, Jonathan yeah, Blouse, You know what, Bill? You make a very salient point that's wrong, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean to be rude. I know you're our guest. But my wife wrote a paper, and many of you know my wife's a doctor. They've stopped residents from working over 80 hours i remember that and ann has written a paper now um and there have been several other papers showing where care of patients has not gotten any better since the 80 hour work week in fact less work has gotten done since the 80 hour work week went into place so if you know if you reverse it and say well they've got more time which is what residents have is more time Mm -hmm. if these council people have more time and not and the same amount of work's getting done, then why why not have them answer to the public every two years rather than every four? Well, you, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I think we're really kind of chasing strands here, trying to – the bottom line is – Dr. Panley, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> Dr. Panley, paging Dr. Yeah, Panley. I, I don't think you can make any kind of an analogy between a, a local governmental official and a medical resident I don't providing want you operating on I, you, please. It's, it's a false equivalent. But I think that the, the, the fact of the matter is – the he was feel, plugging his wife. The, the, he was the feel, plugging the feel, his wife, huh? The, the feel, <laughs> it's a good article. It, I'm sure it was a great. And article. she's right. It's an interesting fact. It is interesting. It's pretty fascinating. Well, I can tell. I presidency. can tell you from personal experience from having been there, and seeing not only for, for in my own case, but from watching my colleagues, that uh, the two year election cycle, uh, where you know basically most people were campaigning for at least a full year to eighteen months ahead of the next election uh, uh, did cause some disruption. probably wasn't a good thing. And here's another thing, because it's local government. Those council people are out trying to raise money for their next election with challengers being afraid, you know, having people, quote, coming after them. Let me tell you, if you have a two-year term 
every special use permit that a city council person <laughs> votes against, <laughs> the, the opposition issue. would say, we're coming after you, okay, constantly. And many times, they meant it. So the idea, the principle... And those special use permits, are we're still cleaning up after some of that mess. Uh, the, the, it, so the principle was that if you could go to a four-year term, you would alleviate all that. But, but, but let me tell you this, because I've studied the city's political history for a long time. The form of the government, whether it's strong mayor, mayor, council, council manager, whatever, we've had every different kind of, of uh, government imaginable Short of a occupation, par- par- occupation uh, government, the the maybe <laughs> we did um, some more. <laughs> we, we've had all kinds of different forms of government and terms and what should they be, where they line up. But at the end of the day, the form doesn't save you. There is no magic ingredient. It all comes down to uh, the determination and talent of the people who are in office, whether it's in the legislature side or on the executive side. If 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 council says they want to take charge of this budget to achieve certain goals, they can do that. Uh, if the mayor uh, you know, wants to take the budget in a certain direction or some other initiative, he can do that. So I don't know that a two- or four-year term in and of itself is going to change. We would talk about this. It so clearly would make a difference on the stadium. I agree. So there, there you that, go. Because it would have been a campaign issue. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. they, they would, it, would, it would have been quite a bit different stadium would be decided probably in the election, right, in November? Absolutely. So there you have it. Nine out of ten council members agree. We should stick with the four-year, right? <laughs> I didn't say that we should stick with the four-year. Uh, but, I, but I'll tell you this. I probably wouldn't have run for council on a four-year term. It, it's, it's an enormous well, commitment. What would happen if we went to time. staggered? Well, it's a possibility. But, but i got to tell you, the, the, the Staggered the, the, amount, the amount of work that we expect the council members to do, and for $24,000 a year, mm-hmm. um, a four-year commitment is a really long commitment. And one thing about a two-year term <laughs> on the other side of the coin is that each elected official also got to decide. It's not just whether the citizens are going to throw the person out. Or bring somebody in, but then the do I want to the, run the, again the, after the, this, this two years now? Yeah, but, but there, <laughs> but it gave people an opportunity to. But most to people think about do what they run do. for more than one term. Very sure, few, the sure. ego thing gets boiled so into it. So the four it years is is. But I mean, I think Bill's point is well taken. The form of the the form, you know, it's just like anything else. Everybody, it's like any football team or any sports team. Everybody lines up the same way. It doesn't mean you can play the same way. Right. But on the other hand. It's clear that there's been a big difference in how things have operated since you've changed the form of government. Now, you could say the form isn't all that important. It's just the players. But the, the difference is so dramatic that it had to have an impact. And I think we're, we're seeing it. And let's the stadium is again the perfect example. Can I can I ask you a question, maybe as a jumping off instead of because God we talk about the stadium a lot on I this know, show. I'm tired of talking about the baseball stadium. <laughs> what stadium? There isn't even a stadium I want you yet, to know, folks. I just said this is Charlie Deirdre on the record. I'm tired of talking about the baseball stadium. There we go. Nine out of time, ten Charlie Deirdre's agree. Baseball stadium worn out. So. Jones, what's interesting about what you were saying earlier about Dwight, he's, he's got this different approach as an executive um, to how he approaches, you know, again, Wilder came from an executive position, comes into this, but he's used to the process, et cetera, et cetera. 
Mayor Jones was a legislator. You would no, think he, he approaches he would... it like a reverend. He runs mm. the city like he runs a church. His church. That's an interesting thing. Well, he is it. a CEO. Go on. <laughs> he is a CEO. <laughs> he runs the city the way he runs his church. You come in. You gotta. He's gotta let you in. You show up on Sunday. You listen to what he has to say, and you darn very fewer parishioners are standing up and saying, by the way, your interpretation of stuff, no, no way. Where did you go to school? No, he runs, he runs it that way. He does it in, 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 in churches. You can get a chance to talk quietly, but once the decision is made, the decision is made. That's how he runs, you know, not a lot of stuff out front. You talk, but once he's decided how it's, it's going to go... sort of a papal approach to... Wh whatever you want to call it, once he's decided how it's going to go, that's why we're not going to mention the one, the one thing, but the reason you mention the stadium is not because you're talking about the stadium. It's, it's, it's a common experience. So many people know about it that you can see how it works. It's exactly the same thing. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter if... Well, you can't do it that way. We'll, we'll change... How we do the bonding is still going to be the same way. The council, five and a half months into this, wants to hire an expert. Five and a half months into the process, they decide that we don't have enough information to make a decision. Well, what were you doing the last five and a half months? Okay, and then they got to beg the mayor to do it. This is what we, it's his style. His style is, I I don't like a lot of public discussion. I don't like a lot of public dissent. If you also notice, it's also a political style that he and some other people follow. Wilder came up differently. Wilder did mind contention. Wilder liked... Bill, the, you all... Is, you is, all, that, is that right? <laughs> no, I never thought... Yeah. Because you all witnessed it, Bill, firsthand but when you were on Wilder mind... I, I know this catches... I have to wear long sleeves for the rest of my life to I, hide... I know this catches Bill by bruises. surprise. I mean, I understand that. Bill's sitting here saying, no, what, what is he talking about? But if you look at Jones, if you look at Henry Marsh, if you look at the Jones-Marsh machine, okay? Look how they do in the legislature. All right? We have Bobby Scott. I got an email. Bobby Scott wrote a letter supporting historic tax credits. That you know, there's a big fight in the this Congress is, whether they get rid of historic. No, okay, uh, okay. Historic tax. Credits. This is for the developers and everybody, so they can continue their historic tax. Targeted credits. at schools, correct? Oh no, no. This is for historic tax credits as it stands now. Oh, okay. He wants to continue it because they were the, the okay. Republicans were talking about getting rid of it. All right. I've tried to get him for all these folks for years to say, well, if you're going to support historic tax credit for developers, why don't you do it for the kids? So we can, they can help find... Oh, 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 so Scott's, he, his letter supports just keeping as he He doesn't quote. address the thing because okay. that's not coming up. All right, the so point is, all right, now if you're the mayor, you might say to your congressman, well, you know, I, I, I got the oldest schools in the state. My average school was built in 1955. I can't afford to fix them up, but Tim Kaine and Mark Warner, you know, they got this idea. It might save me 30%. Would you consider he will never do that? Okay? You will never see Donald McEachin or Henry Marsh criticize publicly what Jones does for the city. You will never see Jones criticize what they do in the General Assembly. That is not by accident. That is a politics that you, I don't, there's a name for it. But basically, you all get around, you say, look, if there's, no, if there's no dissension, there's it's very hard for anybody to ever be defeated because everyone's going to assume things are fine. So you don't criticize me on anything. I don't criticize you. 
We just move along. That's a very, that's a political decision. It's not by accident. That's a Reaganistic approach. Okay. 11th Commandment stuff, right? Yeah. But you don't, but even when they're not helping you, you never say anything publicly. They don't ever criticize you. You don't ever criticize yeah. them, and it can never go, speak ill of the of, of the other. And so, of and so it's very it's very hard. Case. Not just the Democrat. It's anybody in the office. It's very hard to get in a city like this, which has all these needs, and needs things for the state and the federal government to do more. If you're not willing to push, even your friends publicly, to do more. It's very hard to get it done, but that is a politics. If you look at a Wilder, because the way he sort of, when he came up, he was a 70, he was different. He had to do the more public pushing. That was his only real authority. So he was comfortable with that. You know, it's funny. Chris and I talked earlier about keeping this on the budget, and of course that didn't work, but... I hope we can keep well, we this next it occasionally. segment on, oh. on point. No, I think no. I, I I grant you the budget really is about politics. But I'd like to move on to another topic if you don't mind. It's only going to be about two minutes that we've got for that. Well, topic. I'm I'm sorry to hear that because it's a very important topic, and that is transportation. Bill, I, we've got two minutes, so why don't you give us the panelly on transportation? And let us weigh in just a little bit. But give us the, the gospel according to Panley on transportation in Richmond, if you don't mind. <laughs> in two minutes. And are we talking about public transportation here? Buses and, and, We're and talking about, rapid transit? I want, light look, rail? folks, I've talked to Bill about this in the past. I'd like to hear. I'd like everybody to hear uh, what I, he thinks. I, I'll here. just say this, and we could save it for another time. And you're the chairman of what again? Uh, well, I'm the immediate past president of Virginians for high-speed rail. Okay, thank you. But, uh, but, but let me but let me – just say this. This region, as fine as it is, as successful as it is, will never scratch the surface of its potential if we don't have regional mass transit, period. And it's going to be very difficult to make that happen. We're going to have to have the right relationships amongst the several governments. So this bickering in the newspaper and pointing fingers, calling people out, uh, Paul, you make some good points about why politicians don't do that. That same kind of understanding has been true for generations amongst the uh, surrounding jurisdictions. When you start pointing fingers at people and calling them out, trying to publicly embarrass them, they pull back. And this is a time for regional mass transit where people need to come together and go forward. Within the city, uh, we need to do a complete redo of of uh, GRTC's route structure, not piecemeal, not messing around, tweaking, or we're going to adjust this route. Uh, we need to start with something like the downtown master plan and build the mass transit system of the city for the future. And the sooner we get started with that, the more success that the city will have. I think that we need to ask that you come back to talk about this. Maybe we can get uh, Manoli. I bet you we could do a whole show on Maybe transportation. Maybe we can get Manoli Lapassi, who just, of course, I guess the uh, the transportation, uh, the, the, what is it the uh, RMA is now called? It's the, the uh, Richmond, Reach, Richmond Met- Metropolitan Transportation Authority. Yeah, so we've got a, a new we've RMA. We've got a natural show there. Yeah. Yep. So I think we need to, to have you hopefully back on. Uh, maybe have uh, Manoli, if he agrees, Delegate Lapassi. Be pleased to come back. And, uh, and we'll talk some transit. It's important stuff. All right. And again, everybody, thank you for being here. I've been with Paul Goldman. Uh, he's a former advisor to former Mayor L. Douglas Wilder. 
uh, who of course was the first mayor under the strong mayor system of government in our city, Charlie Deardore, my co-host and frequent commentator on city politics, and uh, really pleased to have with us for the first time on this show, former city council president, and I'm not going to say it occasional, Gene Simmons impersonator Bill Panelli. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks, guys. Thank and that's RVA Report for Thursday, March 20th, 2014. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Dovey. RVA Report is co-produced by myself, Charlie Dirador, Cameron Vigliano, and Brittany Tracy. The Richmond Public Media News Team is Cameron Vigliano, Abid Rahman, and Anafrio Castilla. News keeps happening, which means there will be plenty more to talk about next week right here on RVA Report. Join us.